sign of adulthood when you buy a weed whacker. So, well, hey, uh, we're taking a one-week break from our series, Running the Race, uh, because Pastor Shane wanted to finish out this series. Um, Josh, our worship pastor and youth pastor here, is actually teaching his first message up in Camas, and uh, we would have had him here teaching and, and joining with you, but being a very first message, we're like, yeah, do your first message and then do it twice. Seemed a little aggressive, so we said, why don't you do your first message up there? He's teaching right now, and I have a feeling he's killing it, because Josh is awesome. Um, so you are stuck with me for one more week. So Shane gave me the option to teach on whatever I wanted. You can go ahead and go to that first slide. And I said, anything? <laughs> oh, we're going to talk about rhinos. <laughs> so, uh, like I said, I've been, I've been helping out at a camp called Big Canyons where we do our camp. And this week, our summer staff came from all over the country. We're kind of training and doing orientation and doing some work projects. And on Monday night, we were all around a campfire just kind of getting to know each other. You know, when you ask like really serious questions, like if you had a superpower, what would it be? You know, like kind of the stuff where you really get to know people. And uh, so we were kind of going around and just enjoying a fire and eating s'mores and asking questions. And one of the girls in our group asked the question, which you might be familiar with, what is your spirit animal? Any of you familiar with this question? Two of you, excellent. I'm not. And I don't even know what that means. So they began to talk about what their spirit animal would be. And I kind of figured out that you can tell a lot about a person due to like what animal they most relate to. And one of the guys said, oh, I'm, I'm like an eagle. You know, we said, well, why? He said, you know, because I'm like free. You know, I'm, I get to soar above. I'm majestic. You know, we're like, okay, so you're an eagle. And then another one of the girls, she was going to be a, 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 what was it, a panther? I think she said, oh, cheetah. There it is, a cheetah. And uh, we actually had to work her up. She was going to be a cat. And we said, let's, let's up the game a little bit. So she became a cheetah. And that's her spirit animal because it's fast, it's beautiful, whatever. And then um, it came to me and I was just being like, I, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what a spirit animal is. I'm not going to over-spiritualize it, but I don't know a spirit. I just don't. So I said, I'll be a sloth. You know, I just, <laughs> I just watched Zootopia with my daughter and the best character in that movie was the sloth. If you're with me, nod your head. Okay. And, uh, and then after I was thinking, I, I actually went back and I asked permission. I said, is it possible to change your spirit, spirit, spirit animal? I think I want to change mine. And by God's grace, I was able to change it and around our campfire. And uh, it, it brought back memories of something I read a long time ago about the rhino. Um, and I said, I think I'm going to be the rhino instead. And I had read this book probably seven or eight years ago by a, man, a pastor by the name of Erwin McManus called The Barbarian Way. And in that book, he does this little chapter about the rhino. And, and just some stuff that, unless you're like an animal nerd, which you might be, I'm not. Um, I didn't know this about the rhino. But see, when we think of the rhino, we think of this big, docile thing, the savanna rock that just sits there. It's so still that the birds kind of just land on it and pick at it. Uh, but Erwin McManus, he kind of shared this different aspect that most people don't realize about the, the rhinoceros. See, the rhinoceros, even though it's normally docile and it's normally still, the rhinoceros can actually run upwards of 30 to 35 miles an hour especially when it's in a group. So when a bunch of rhinos get together and they decide to go jogging, they jog at 35 miles an hour. Now to put some perspective on that, Usain Bolt, the fastest human being, for now, somebody will beat him, we always beat our records, 
he runs at 23 miles per hour. So 35 miles an hour is like a galloping horse. Now these rhinoceroses, they're not small. They weigh upwards of three tons. Their horns reach between four and five feet when they're full grown. What is it, a tusk? I'm going to call it a horn. I don't know what to call it. Horn. And uh, it's unicorn horn. And it's, the, it's made of something so strong that a, a, a rhino can actually barrel through trees. It can hit rocks. And it'll break the rock usually before it'll break the horn. And so you start to think, okay, so a rhino can run at 35 miles an hour. It weighs three tons. A rhino could do some damage, wouldn't you think? And here is the interesting, the most interesting part of a rhino to me is with all these characteristics, rhinoceroses are nearly blind. They're, they're genetically nearsighted to the point where they can really only see between 30 and 100 feet. And after that, it becomes so blurry that they can't distinguish characters. So throw that in the mix. A three-ton animal running with its friends, nearly blind at 35 miles an hour. That's why this is called crash. Not because they're going to crash, but because, what do you think they call a group of rhinos? A crash. That's actually its name. If you're a flock of birds, you have a school of fish, you have a pride of lions, you have a committee of buzzards. That's true. And then you have a crash of rhinos. See, when a rhino, when a, when a herd, I want to call it a herd, when a crash of rhinos are running, it changes the landscape underneath it. If we had a crash of rhinos run through our property, you wouldn't go outside and pick up the stones and move things. No, we wouldn't have grass anymore. The road would be ruined. See, when, when, a, when a, a crash of rhinos comes through an area, the earth itself is different after it literally changes things. And, and nobody gets in front of a crash of rhinos and goes, hold on, let's move this way. You know, I, this is my area. No, 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 they can't see you. Like they would stop anyways. But they're almost completely blind. So when they're running, you have no option but to get out of the way or get taken out. Now, some of you are like, Mike wants that to be a spirit animal? It's kind of hardcore. But the truth is, I, I, I see the rhino as a great picture of the church. I think sometimes if we could pick a spirit animal for the church, we're like the lamb. You know, kind of slow and dumb and dirty, stinky. Yeah, I'll give it to you. There's an aspect of us that I think the lamb would fit. But I think Jesus designed us to be more like a rhino. See, we get to look back through history and through scripture and we get to see some people that when they ran after Jesus, they left a wake behind them. When they, when they set foot in cities, if you read the New Testament, when they set foot in new cities, that city was never, ever the same again. Just like when a crash of rhinos runs through a village, that village, you're gonna have to bring in the landscaper because it's completely different now. They, they, everything's changed. And I think that's how it's supposed to be for the church. We were given a call to make an impact. We were created to make an impact in our world. But to make an impact, you, can't, you cannot have an impact unless you have collision. I think we forget that. You cannot make an impact in this world unless you are willing to collide with it. 
But sometimes we're so scared of failing or so scared of colliding that we never actually make an impact. When God puts obstacles in front of us or roadblocks or even just speed bumps, we kind of get to them and we go, well, if it's a collision, I, I'm probably doing something wrong. I should probably, God probably doesn't want me to mess anything up, so I'm going to go over here. And you read through the New Testament, and man, they're barreling through obstacles. They're barreling through road bumps and speed bumps, and they're barreling through walls. And they're leaving a wake behind them. When people look at the church, they go, oh, you can tell the church was here. People are healed. Brokenness has been put back together. People have been, have, have been given life that they didn't have before. People are burning their idols and serving a one true God. When these people came through our town, our city will never be the same again. But you know what? I think it's the same for us. I don't think anything changed. I think the church was called to make an impact. Thank you for hearing my spirit animal speech. What I want you to do is I want you to open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. While you're turning there, if, if I can look back through the Bible and say, what characters or what people did God use to change the world? When I mean change the world, I mean the terrain was literally different because they were there. You think of someone like King David? Did King David change the world? Yeah, absolutely. He left a pretty big wake behind him. To this day, most of the world knows who King David is. What about the Apostle Paul? You think the Apostle Paul changed the world? Absolutely. When the Apostle Paul went somewhere, that place was never the same again. And I want to tell you about someone who you would probably agree with me also changed the world by the name of Moses. How many of you have heard of Moses? Excellent, all of us. If you haven't heard of Moses, this is a fantastic message for you to be present at. Moses is mostly known as the guy who helped deliver Israel from slavery and bondage in Egypt into the promised land. They had to cross a sea in the middle of that, not on boat, on land. Um, they, and then he led them through this wilderness period for 40 years. He was not perfect. He was not flawless, but he trusted in God. Moses is a patriarch of our faith. In fact, in the New Testament, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, three of his disciples, up on a mountain where he did this thing called transfigured. No idea what that means. I think he like glue like a, like, like a flashlight. And he was up on this mountaintop, and, and, and Jesus took on a new form, but he wasn't alone. There was two people with him, and the Bible says it was Moses and Elijah. So like Moses is so much of a rock star that he's like personal friends with Jesus. He like hangs out with Jesus. In fact, he visits Jesus when Jesus comes to earth. And he's like, hey, we haven't hung out in a while. I'll meet you on the mountain. Moses changed the world. But before Moses changed the world, so here's how the story goes in my head most of the time. Moses was raised in Egypt court. He was raised under Pharaoh in the Pharaoh's home. I don't know if he knew Pharaoh. I have no idea. The cartoon says he does, but I don't know. But he was raised in Pharaoh's court. One day, he goes out knowing he's a Hebrew. He sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. He sees the injustice. He says, I must do something. He kills the Egyptian, justice, buries him in the sand. The next day, he sees two Hebrews fighting. He says, why are you guys fighting? They say, who made you judge over us? Are you going to kill us too? Uh-oh, Moses has been found out. So he finds out that Pharaoh now knows, and Pharaoh's going to kill him. So he runs. Moses is 40 years old, the Bible says. He runs to a land called Midian, which is far away, finds a wife, has a couple kids, becomes a shepherd. Moses then 
while he's shepherding, 40 years later, he's now 80 years old, he's on a mountain, he sees this bush on fire but not burning. So it's like burned but not burned. He's like, there should be ashes, there aren't ashes, something's happening, pay attention. And then all of a sudden, a voice speaks to him out of this burning, not burned bush. Another reason to pay attention, something's happening, this isn't normal. And so this is where the story kind of changes a little bit. In the story, God says, Moses, I've seen the affliction of my people and I'm coming down. You're going to go and you're going to go speak to Pharaoh. And then usually in most of our stories, especially the cartoon, Moses goes, you're right, let's go do something. And then he marches into Egypt and he, he says, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my, I forget the song. And he does the, and, and then he does plagues and then he leaves. But there's this huge section of scripture that I think we sometimes miss. In, in Exodus chapter three, we're missing a huge part of the story where we actually get to know a little bit of Moses. See, we think of Moses, especially I do, I think of Moses as kind of this spiritual superhero. He can do anything. And when God calls him, Moses is like, I'm your man, God. Let's do this. But I want to show you that that's not what happened. This is one of the most encouraging passages of Scripture to me because I get to see somebody who eventually became a world changer. But I get to see how they started. And the way they started was a lot like me. Moses is so much like us. He is not the superhero I think we think. He is very much human, and I want to show you why. See, when God called Moses to action, Moses gave God five excuses of why he's got the wrong person. And each one of these five excuses, as we go through them, you're going to go, that's legit. That's justifiable. I could use any one of those five excuses, most areas of my life, and people would go, mm-hmm, I get that. He uses five excuses, and then God responds to him in five different ways. So before Moses goes to change the world, he had a couple questions and a couple excuses and doubts that he addressed with God that you're going to see are very, very normal to us. So open up with me to... Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 11. This is what happens when God calls us to action. We are tempted to feel, and the first one is inadequate. And let me read this for you. You can follow along if you have your Bibles with you. Verse 11 through 12. So, Mo, so God calls Moses and says, I want you to go to Egypt. This is Moses' response. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. Pretty simple. See, I like this because Moses is feeling inadequate. In a way, he said, God, you have the wrong guy. I don't know if you know my history, God, but I tried, work, I tried stepping in and doing your work one time before, and then I got, I had, got chased and, and Pharaoh tried to kill me. I've already done this. I think you're thinking of somebody else because I've already been there and I failed. See, Moses is feeling inadequate. How many of you ever felt inadequate before? Excellent, three of you. That's fantastic. <laughs> inadequate just means I'm lacking, whether in quantity or quality. I'm not full. You need somebody whose cup is full. Moses says, you must have the wrong guy. See, when we live out our life in Jesus in this world, we're going to face obstacles. We're going to have opportunities to have collision. And you can't make an impact unless you're willing to have a collision sometimes. 
And one of the first things that we have to choose whether or not we're going to collide with is whether or not God knows what he's doing. And if we continue to hold on to these feelings of inadequacy, that I'm not the right person for the job. I've tried this in the past and I failed. You're probably thinking of somebody else. I love God's response here. What does God say to him? Moses, I am with you. See, when we face obstacles in life, we've fallen into this trap as a culture and in just the brokenness of our own hearts that when we face obstacles where we have to either choose to collide or to get out, I think we've often fell into this lie that if we're going to hit a a roadblock, an obstacle, if there's an opportunity to have a collision, God must not be with me because God forbid he wants me to collide with something. But you know, that's sometimes where we get to see God move. First thing God says to him is, Moses, I am going to be with you. If I'm with you, there's no such thing as inadequate. Look at this second excuse. Verses 13 through 14. Moses said to God, suppose I do go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell him? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. See, this second one is very realistic. Moses says, all right, God, here's the deal. I was raised in Pharaoh's court, and then I ran. I don't actually even know your name. Awkward. Yeah, that conversation should have happened a little bit earlier. I don't even know your name. Right now, Moses is pretty much saying, he's saying, God, look, I'm I'm ignorant. I don't know enough. You know, one of the next potential collisions that you're going to have as you try and follow Jesus is you're going to come to this conclusion that you just don't know enough. And if you don't know enough, you're going to have to wait until you know more. So don't get me wrong, I'm all for knowledge. I'm all for growing in knowledge. But we never know enough, ever. In fact, God's response to him is, he didn't tell him his name. He didn't say, tell him Bob sent you. He said, I am who I am. And that's not a name, folks. That's a description. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm the great I am. You're never going to fully find me out. I am not, you're unable to fully know me enough. I am always outside of your understanding. If your mark or if your starting line is you need to know enough, you're never going to be there because I am without knowing. I am. And it's the same for us. I don't know if you know folks, my wife and I were these folks, where we said, ah, we're just not ready to have kids. Once we're ready, I think we'll start having kids. And everybody with kids went, <laughs> Also, there's, there's a ready. You can be ready to have kids. So that exists. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want everybody to have kids at 13. But like, you, once you have kids and you go, I think we're ready. You know, I feel like the bank account and our lives, I feel like we've, you know, I think we're ready. And then that, the baby comes out and you're like, ah, I'm not ready for this you're never ready. You can be more ready, I guess, but you're never fully ready. You know, if a wife turned to her husband and said, I I think I'm ready, you know, I think I'm finally ready, he's going to look at her and say, honey, you're 80. Like, it's over. Like, (laughs) that ship sailed. We're never ready. And I think sometimes one of the first obstacles we face when it comes to pursuing Jesus's mission for our lives and making an impact and be willing to barrel through some of the obstacles and have that collision with this world, one of the first things that the devil hits us with is you don't know what you're talking about. You're not the best arguer. You're not the best debater. You don't know Bible verses like you should. You just don't know anything. 
What God said to Moses is, you just need to remember that I am, and you are not. You remember that I am, you're good. You know, I was telling a lady after first service that I am always, I'll even say jealous. I am jealous of the faith of children. I want the faith of a child. Like, I, like, like I watch my daughter. My daughter just trusts. She just trusts me, and she believes in Jesus. It's the weirdest thing. And she doesn't, like, wonder if she knows enough to believe Jesus. She doesn't wonder if she knows enough about me and her mom. Yeah, that's right. Me and her mom to trust us. She just believes, you know? And I feel like the more that we know, can I tell you a secret? So I went to Bible college, and I left with way more questions than I did answers. So life's a journey, and you're, we're never going to know enough. We're never going to know enough. Don't let I don't know enough to be the reason that you don't barrel through obstacles, that you're scared of collision. Moses didn't even know God's name. Okay, step one, know what you're doing. Like, know the name of what you're doing, okay? He didn't know that, and that was not enough. God said, you tell them that I am. Okay, third one. Verse four, or chapter four, verse one through six. Moses answered, this is third excuse. What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord didn't appear to you? Then the Lord said to Moses, what is that in your hand? Moses says, a staff. He replied, throw it on the ground. So Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take the, sna- take the snake by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff right in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside the cloak and when he took it out, the skin was leprous and it became white as snow. See, this next one is a very valid point. Moses is insecure. He says, why would they listen to me? Remember the history. Moses, last time Moses talked to his Hebrew brothers was right after he killed an Egyptian. And they said, who made you judge over us? And he ran. Moses tried talking to the Hebrews before and it didn't work out very well. So now he's like, okay, now we're upping the ante. Now you're telling me that I have to go and tell them that I'm leading them out. They're not going to listen. Why would they listen to me? What was God's response? Let me worry about that is what God said. I will make a way for them to listen to you. In this case, he's going to do miracles right before their eyes. But you know what? In our own lives, we have friends, we have family, we have neighbors, we have coworkers, and we look at our lives and we go, why would they listen to me? Why, what have I ever done that would make them want to listen to my message? And I think we forget that God's always doing something. In this case, he said, I'm going to make them listen. I'm going to use supernatural works. But do you know that God is often already getting the attention of those around you before you even step up and decide you're going to say something or decide you're going to minister and share and love on them? Before you decide that you're going to make an impact in your office or your school or your family, when that lie or that tiny little temptation comes into your head and says, you know what, they're probably not even going to listen to you. You know that God's often, because he knows time, he's often already done the work in their life to get them listening. You know that often God has already got their attention and their heart and ears are in a place where they're ready to hear. And now he's saying, I didn't ask you to do all of it. I went ahead and did all the dirty work. All I want you to do is go. I'll get their attention. It's not always up to us to get everybody to listen to us. 
You will always be outranked by somebody. You will always be out-spiritualized by somebody. God is often doing all that work behind the scenes so that all we need to do is step into it and, and not be as scared of that collision. Last one. Wait, two more. Excellent. Chapter 4, verse 10 through 12. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. See, this is where Moses is making a very good point to God. God, I am inferior. In fact, it's like he's saying, there's got to be someone better. See, Moses had a hard time talking. Moses, I would imagine he has such a bad stutter that he can't get a word out. And God's telling him, you're going to go stand in front of the most powerful man living on earth. And he's saying, I can't even talk. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty legit excuse. If Shane was like, Mike, I want you to teach this Sunday. And I'm like, actually, my tongue got cut out last week. He's like, nah, you can do it. I'd be like, no, I feel like my tongue getting cut out is a pretty good excuse. I can't talk. It's not going to happen. And that's what Moses is doing. You see, he has a disability. And he thinks that disability is totally fair for him to say, God, there's got to be someone better than me. I'm inferior to somebody else. Aren't there people out there who can talk? See, every single person in this room, we're inferior in some way whether it's because of an element of brokenness, a disability, an addiction. None of us have it all going. We pretend, but we're lying. All of us are inferior in some way. Oftentimes, it's really easy to pinpoint an area of your life where you go, but God, I'm, a, I'm addicted. But God, but God, I have a disability. But God, r- relationally, I'm, I'm totally bankrupt. Moses' excuse here is absolutely valid. And you know what God said to him? I know. He didn't say, now you can talk. He didn't say, now you're not addicted and you don't have to try to get recovery. He didn't say, now you're not broken anymore. He said, I already took into account who you are. I'm that thing they call the creator. I have a pretty good idea of who you are. Thanks for the counsel, though. And he says, I know who you are, I know your potential, and I know what you're capable of doing. Remember, number one, I'm with you. And if I say that the guy who can't talk is going to talk to a pharaoh, then the guy who can't talk is going to talk to a pharaoh. See, often what stops us from that collision of making an impact in the world that God has laid before us is we say there's got to be somebody better. There's got to be someone more equipped than me. There's got to be someone who's a better talker than me or can memorize Bible verses or walks with Jesus closer. There's got to be someone better than me. God already took into account who you were. God already knows who you are. God already knows your weaknesses. God already knows your strengths. And for some crazy reason that only he understands, he keeps on calling us into the game. And then he changes the world through us. This is Moses. Moses, superstar of the Bible, couldn't talk. And God's like, thanks for the update. We're good. I knew that. Last one. But Moses said, this is verse 14, chapter 4, 13 through 15, or 13. He says, Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. This is where Moses just finally says, I am insufficient for this job. I am not the guy. I'm not enough. I'm too little. I'm too limited. I'm lacking. I'm incomplete. 
See, Moses on the last one, he didn't go, okay, you got me. You know what you're doing. He finally just says, let's consider all these things I've already talked about. God, please send someone else. Please send someone else. I don't know about you, but if you've never struggled with any of these emotions, you might not have a heartbeat. Um, I absolutely align with Moses right here. Everything he said is a valid excuse. Everything he said is real. He doesn't know God's name. That's a pretty big deal when you're supposed to go talk about him. He can't talk. He literally can't talk. That's a pretty good reason to get out of this. And God took all of these things into consideration and turned this regular dude who's a, he's a, she, he's a shepherd. He spends most of his time by himself. And he says, you're going to go talk to the most powerful man in the world. And the world's never going to be the same, same after you, ever. And God used Moses to do powerful, crazy things. But first he had to learn that you cannot make an impact without a collision. If you think following Jesus and making an impact in the world comes without some sort of collision, you were lied to. We have a broken world. We have an enemy, the devil, who is a liar and a deceiver. And, and man, I have so many bad words. It almost came out right now. Okay. He's a bad dude. And he's winning a lot of people's lives. We need, we need people who are going to say, you know what? I can agree with everything Moses said, but you know what? God is with me. God did create me and he knows my limitations. God does know that I don't have to know enough because I'm never going to figure God all out anyways. God knows who I am. And for some crazy reason, he still called me to go and make an impact in the world. And I'm going to trust him the way Moses did. And I'm going to, when I set foot somewhere, it's going to be changed for the gospel. See, if you read the New Testament, the church in the New Testament, everywhere they placed their foot, that city was never the same, ever. Brokenness was healed. Darkness was cast out. Demons were cast out of people. Life and death happened because people who believed in this said, I am not limited because I believe in a God with no limitations. And if he's going to call me, then I'm going to go forward and I'm going to trust him. Everywhere they set their foot, the place was different. Why would it be different today? Why would it be any different in Heber and in Camas and in Utah? Why wouldn't every single office and every single home and every single school hall not be completely transformed and changed because somebody who believed that Jesus is who he says he has set foot in there? Everywhere we go should be different. You know, it's weird today when the church changes a culture and an environment. People go, you got to hear about this church. When these guys go out, everything's different. But back then, Back in the New Testament, it was normal. It would be weird if a church didn't do it. He said, there's a church there? I haven't heard nothing. Well, everything's kind of just going as it was before. You know, idolatry, prostitution in the temple, just the regular stuff. It just keeps on going. Everybody would be like, that's not a church. That's not one of Jesus' church. I love hearing stories of what happens through this church out in the community, not by the paid staff and the people up here, but by you. I love hearing that the school is different. I love hearing that the office is different. I love hearing that Smith's is different because of Kyle. You get what I'm saying? That kid is a rhino in every sense of the word. And everywhere he goes and steps foot, it's different. And people are like, what happened? Jesus happened. That's why I think the church, if we could give the church a spirit animal, I think the church isn't scared of collision. I think the church 
is taking in the cost of impact. You want to change this world, you're going to have to break through some stuff. You're going to have to tear through barriers. If you have stuff in your life, if you have barriers and obstacles that you have been shying away from, take a note from Moses and, and take a note and realize that if God's called you to the work as he has called all believers, he knows what he's doing. I'm going to close with this, and I'm not going to go into them in deep, but I put something in your bulletins. This is written on the inside of my Bible, these verses, because I believe God has called his church to impact. And I believe that the Apostle Paul, Jesus, John, and all the other ones have been trying to communicate to us how much God has called our church to impact. Okay, this is how God has equipped us to impact. Romans 8.37, he made us more than conquerors through Jesus. That's a fact. He always leads us in triumph in Christ, 2 Corinthians 2.14. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness, 2 Peter 1.3. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, Ephesians 1.3. He forgives us and cleanses us from every sin, 1 John 1.9. He works everything out for good to those who love him, Romans 8.28. He prepared good works ahead of time for us to walk in, Ephesians 2.10. He is faithful to complete the good work he started in us, Philippians 1.6. I don't know about you, but that seems like a recipe for impact to me. If we would believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and if these are true, then I believe he's given us everything we need to make an impact in this world. And I believe, just like in the New Testament, that everywhere we step our foot, the terrain is different. People are different. Nothing is the same when one of Jesus' people steps foot there. And I don't think that needs to change today. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you that when you died for our sins and rose from the dead and called us to be your people, adopted sons, priests, ambassadors, you didn't call us to a life of apathy, but you called us to a life of power. You didn't call us to a life of mediocrity, but you called us to a life of significance that changes the world. Lord, I pray we would all take this seriously as we move forward with our lives. Pray that if we haven't embraced these promises that you have given us in Scripture, that we would take some time and embrace them and, and wrestle with them like Moses wrestled with you. Every one of us has experienced these same excuses and feelings when called but Lord, you had a solid answer for each one of them if we would just believe. So Lord, I pray that Heber and Camus and Utah would not be the same because of your people in this church. I pray that the devil is experiencing carnage in the wake of what you're doing in this city and in this state and in this country. Lord, we love you and we trust you. We ask this in your name. Amen. So, before we jump into our next song, it's actually Communion Sunday. So I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. And um, communion is a time uh, where we follow Jesus' instruction in agreeing with him. He, communion is actually part of us being unified in Christ. It's part of us coming together as a community and saying, no matter what separates us, we are one in Christ. No matter what division there is, we're one in Christ. No matter what uh, uh, conflict we have, more than everything else, we're one in Christ. And that's the agreement with communion. So during this next song, you're welcome to take communion. You're welcome to um, pass it if you're not ready. If you say, now's not a good time for me, don't feel like you need to take it, just pass it. It's if you're ready to agree with Jesus this morning, take communion.
We don't take it together in the sense of everybody at the same time lift your hands. Some traditions do that. We want you to spend some time in reflection and prayer as long as it takes, and you take communion when you're ready. Um, Our ushers are going to go ahead and start passing that around, and I'm just going to throw out a quick prayer. Jesus, thank you for letting us agree with you. Thank you for inviting us into your story. Thank you for being the force that brings us and unifies this body as we move forward. Lord Jesus, we agree with you. We agree with your mission. We agree with who you say you are, and we just want to make that come out in our lives. We love you, and we ask this in your name. Amen.